I've got two teenagers and my wife and I, so we have four phones, and we're so connected to our devices today, whether it's a phone or uh, a pad or, or uh, whatever it is that you, we like to carry around all the time. Uh, we are so connected that we are always looking for ways to charge them, aren't we? Always looking for a way to find a, a plug to charge them. It seems like uh, whenever I finally find one of these, when I have to go in my kid's room and dig out the six or seven they've hidden, uh, I, I go to look for some place to plug it in, and there's never any place to plug it in. And it seems like whenever I need my phone the most is when it's at its least charged. Is that just Murphy's Law? I mean, when you sit around the house, uh, it, it's 100%, right? But you're waiting for a text, you're waiting for a call, you have an important person to call, and you look at it, and it's flashing that 10%. And so you start to panic because you know it goes twice as fast from 10 to 0 as it did from 100 to 10. And so you're panicked and you're looking around. Uh, we're all always looking for a way to charge. Have you ever been to the airport and watched people get off the planes and run? They will run. People will run past their family, past their friends to go find a plug so that they can plug their phones in. That's how connected we are. And one of the things I've learned, or a couple of things I've learned about charging and about our batteries, and I guess it's probably Murphy's Law, I've had to learn on the hard way, is as much as batteries have developed over the years, as good as they have gotten, it still is a proven fact that the older your phone is, the less charge your battery will carry, right? It just, it just seems like 100% on my older phone is not the same as 100% for my younger phone. And another lesson I had to learn the hard way after two phones is that if you leave apps on and running, it will run your battery down twice as fast. I didn't even know you could close apps. My kids had to show me that. I'm technologically challenged. But if you leave them running in the background, it just sucks your battery down. And it shouldn't surprise any of us that batteries are like that because you and I are geared the same way. You and I have the same features. You see, we're always on the go. We're always running. We're always adding things to our schedule. We're always pushing the envelope on our calendar. We move from work to, to free activities to the next thing that's coming up, and all we ever do is try to play catch-up on getting called up. We're always trying to recharge, but what happens is, much like our battery, the older we get, the harder it is for us to get a full charge. The harder it is for us to recover. It just seems like we used to be able to take a nap and everything was good. Now a nap's not enough, amen? Seems like you could spend a busy week and, and take a day or take a moment and recover, but all of a sudden, those same things that used to rejuvenate you no longer rejuvenate you. But yet we keep going, yet we keep moving ahead faster and busier than ever before. And you need to understand that type of lifestyle cannot be sustained. Over time, it begins to affect you physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about depression. And one of the main factors that deals with depression, one of the main factors that scientists and, and historians and psychologists are understanding is, is that burnout almost always will lead to some form of depression. But yet we keep going. People find themselves physically ill because they never take time to rest. I saw a statistic this week that said most young Americans, and when I say young Americans, I like to include myself in that, and I turned 51 last week. Blake reminded everybody of that. And so, uh, so I say 51 to 30, young Americans. Young Americans 
today on average work anywhere from 50 to 70 hours a week. And then on top of that 70 hours a week, they add 15 to 20 hours of children's activities if they have kids, sports and dance and whatever else that they're doing. That can't be sustained. Americans that have gone through a divorce, 55% of them say that the main factor in their divorce was workaholics. Their spouse worked too much. Their spouse put work ahead of the family. And we do the same things with our kids. Uh, There's a new syndrome. I read an article about it this week called Office Martyr Syndrome, where people in offices are now not taking their vacation so that they can look better than everybody else in their office. And it's making people mad, which it should. But statistics tell us that 38% of all Americans do not take their vacation days. Do not take their vacation week. Matter of fact, that same article said that 62% of workers either eat lunch at their desk or skip lunch at least three times a week. Society's speeding up. Things are going faster. We think we have to add more to our calendar if we're ever going to get ahead. But you and I were not created to go at that pace. And before long, if we're not careful, something will have to give. Our batteries will die. God knew that you and I needed to be recharged. He created us. He knew in the beginning that you and I were not created to go at that kind of pace. And so he set aside to his original children, to the original people he made a covenant with, the fourth commandment to deal with our busy schedules. Unfortunately, most Christians today have no idea even what the fourth commandment means, or even worse, how to apply it to their lives. And as I said earlier, that stops today. We're going to look for a few minutes at the fourth commandment. And more importantly, we're going to look at why it is so important for you and I to apply it to our lives. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, It's in your order of service, so you can follow along there. Now, some of you that are still trying to recover uh, from the Brady Bunch, Peter was the one that most people missed, okay? Uh, I don't know how they couldn't remember Peter, but... People remembered Sam the butcher, and they didn't remember Peter. Um, when it came to the Ten Commandments, the two that people couldn't remember were the Fourth Commandment, which is this, keep the Sabbath, and the Tenth Commandment, which is not covet our neighbor's items or our neighbor's things. And so that just helps you catch up on the Ten Commandments while you're turning there. Let me read uh, Exodus chapter 20. And for those of you that are always wondering where they are, Exodus chapter 20. Write it down somewhere. In the back of your about Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. That'll save you going to the concordance or going to the back all the time trying to figure out where they are. I'm going to read the Fourth Commandment. It starts in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor your aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease, to desist, to quit. It means it's interpreted to, to not work, to not just not work, but to not do anything, to totally unplug, to totally stop what you're doing. It's pretty simple. It sounds straightforward. Six days you work. One day you stop. But you need to remember that to the people that Moses was speaking to, this was revolutionary. This was crazy for them. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't know what a day off was. 
They work seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, for all of their lives. And now God comes along and says, not only do I want you to put in a full day's work, but I want you to take one day as a day of rest. One day where you do nothing. One day where you recharge. And not only is it a suggestion, it's a command. It is an expectation. It is something that God says all of us need. Now notice that he mentioned the creation story. He goes back to Genesis as an example of why this is so important. So let me read that to you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in their vast array. That's the first six days in Genesis chapter 1. By the seventh day, God had finished his work and had been, and, and had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now that word holy there is not holy the way we think of in the New Testament. Holy is interpreted set apart. He made the seventh day set apart different from the first six days. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had been doing. I want you to think with me for a minute. We believe that God is omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere. We believe that God is omnitemporal, which means that God exists outside of our known time. That means He exists as real today as He did yesterday, and He is present in all time. We believe that God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. We also believe that God is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful. Do you think an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnitemporal God needed a day to rest? Do you think God needed the rest on the seventh day? Well, if not, why did He put it in here? He used it as an example for His creation to follow His pattern. He knew because He created us. He made us. He formed us. He knew what our bodies could take. And so He knew that every seventh day we needed to stop and we needed to rest. The whole purpose of the seventh day in creation is to be an example for us. Now the Jewish people allowed this to become a part of their nature. It became a part of their culture and it remains the same today they still practice Sabbath rest. Now, to understand the Sabbath in that day and today in the Jewish culture, you need to remember how the Jewish people count their days. You see, you and I believe that a day starts when the morning, when the sun comes up, the day starts. The Jewish people believe that the day starts the night before when the sun went down. You see, for Jewish people, a day is from the night before when the sun went down to the sun going down the next day. And so they count the Sabbath, which is on Saturday, which was uh, the last day of the week in the Jewish calendar, they count the Sabbath as starting on Friday night. That's why so many people get confused about Jesus uh, being buried and third day resurrected because we say, wait a minute, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, wait a minute, he was, he was buried and he died on Friday and he rose on Sunday, that's not three days. But in the Jewish thinking, it was three days. That's why they had to get him off the cross before the Sabbath started, before nightfall. That's why after nightfall, they couldn't go do anything else with him because it would break the Sabbath law. So in the Jewish culture, and the Jewish customs, the Sabbath is always starting on Friday night and lasting through Saturday night. It ends on Saturday night when the sun goes down. Now, just as a historical nature, you can thank the Jewish culture for our two-day work week. Most of you may not realize, but work, having two weekend, not work week, two days, some of you may work two days. Uh, pastors, I was thinking my work week, right? Wednesdays and Sundays, pastors. Uh, some of you may not realize that up until about 100 years ago, 
there was really only one day off. There was no weekend. Most people got one day off and they worked six days. And Christians would take Sunday, but Jewish people would take Saturday. And as Jewish immigrants came to the United States about 100 years ago, and they began to start businesses and own businesses, they began to hire Gentile workers. Well, then once the Gentile workers were in their businesses, they started saying, we want to be off on Sunday. And the Jewish believers said, we want to be off on Saturday. So they formed a compromise. And about 100 years ago, they decided we would have two-day weekend. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who's coming along to give us a third day? Amen? (laughs) Well, if Sabbath is on the Saturday, then why are we here today? Why are we here on Sunday? Why don't we celebrate on, on Saturday like the Jewish custom was? Well, because when Jesus was resurrected, his followers, Christians, stopped celebrating on Saturday and began to celebrate on the day of his resurrection, which was Sunday. And if you look in the book of Acts, if you look in the epistles and Paul's letters and the other letters, you will see them call it the Lord's Day. They call it the first day of the week. The church gathered on the Lord's Day. The church gathered on the first day of the week. It was a celebration of Jesus' resurrection, and we continue today worshiping on Sunday to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But the key thing for us to understand is it's no longer important what day we do it. What is important is how we do it and why we do it. What does the Sabbath mean to us today? And to understand that, we need to go back to understand what was going on when Jesus came on the scene. You see, if you read the Gospels, by the time that Jesus came onto the scene, the Pharisees, like they did with most commandments, had taken the commandments and made them a legalistic system. They had already, by Jesus' day, developed 39 categories that involved keeping and breaking the Sabbath. You see, it was no longer about keeping a day, it was about keeping the law. And in those 39 categories, there were 1,500 prohibitions, 1,500 things that you could not do on the Sabbath or you would break the Sabbath law. Matter of fact, in the passage I read earlier to you from Mark 2, where it says the disciples were going and they were picking heads of grain as they were going along, that alone broke four of those prohibitions. That's why the Pharisees were so mad. Let me give you a couple of examples. You can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath in Jesus' day. It was illegal. They called it irrigating. Seriously. If you had a radish and you wanted to eat a radish, which I don't know why anyone would want to, but if you wanted to eat a radish and you wanted to spice it up, you could stick it in salt for a second. But if you left it in salt longer than a second, you were pickling it, and that was work. Couldn't do it. You see, they had so many systems that were just like that, that that tried to determine what was legal, what wasn't legal, what was keeping the Sabbath, what wasn't keeping the Sabbath. And it turned it into a legalistic system. That's why when you read about Jesus, he provokes the Pharisees on the Sabbath because it was a way for him to show how hypocritical they really were. But here's where it gets interesting. While Jesus would go to the synagogue on Saturday, on Shabbat, on Sabbath, Jesus did not keep the command of the Sabbath law. Not only did Jesus not keep the Sabbath law, Jesus never taught his followers, he never encouraged his followers, he never told his followers to keep the Sabbath law. As I told you earlier, the fourth commandment is the only commandment that is not re-quoted in the New Testament, that is not pulled over into the New Testament, that is not revisited in the New Testament. 
There is not one New Testament verse that tells us that we are required to keep the Sabbath law. In all the lists in the letters that Paul writes where he lists the different sins of the flesh, where he lists the sins that we struggle with, there is not one mention of keeping the Sabbath. In Acts chapter 15, when the Jerusalem council gathered, as the, the early believers were gathering to talk about the Gentiles that were being converted and coming into the church, and they were trying to determine what do we want the Gentiles to understand it means to be a Christian, they never mentioned that they should keep the Sabbath. There's not one instance of the apostles or Paul telling anyone to observe the Sabbath. If you were to go and study, there, there are over 134 verses in the Bible that deal with Sabbath, that, that use the word Sabbath. If you were to go and discover and look at those verses, what you would find in the Old Testament and what you would find in the way Jesus taught about it and the way Jesus followed it and the way the apostles followed it, you would find there is a stark, very clear difference in the way the two were addressed. So what happened? Why did it change? Why did it go from something that's so important that God makes it a commandment to something that Jesus didn't even follow himself? And more importantly, not just what happened, but if that's the case, then what are we supposed to do with it? How are you and I supposed to apply this commandment to our life? Is it even still relative? Is it even still important? Is it something that we need to know? Well, let me answer the first question of what happened because I think it sheds light on how we're supposed to apply it to our lives. I want you to read a verse, and I think in these two verses you will begin to see. So I want you to, you're going to have to think for a minute. I know Sundays you're not used to thinking, you've checked out on that. So you're going to have to think for a minute. If you take notes and you like that, these are the two key verses that I want you to see how the Sabbath changed. Colossians 2, Paul is talking about legalism, talking about the law. Verse 16, he says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or the Sabbath. For these are simply a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying to the people in Colossae is that the Sabbath is a shadow whose reality is found in Christ. He is saying that now that the substance is here, now that Jesus is here, you don't need the shadow anymore. The shadow was pointing to something that was coming. That something that was coming was Jesus Christ. And that shadow included the Sabbath law. Now listen, Moses goes on after he gives the Ten Commandments, later in Exodus chapter 30, he explains more along the line of how we apply the Ten Commandments. And I want you to listen to what he says. Exodus chapter 31 verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And then it goes on in verse 16 of chapter 31. For the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come, as a lasting covenant. For it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. Now if you study the Old Testament, you know that when God makes a covenant, He likes to give a sign. When he had Noah and he made a covenant with Noah, the rainbow was a sign. When he made a covenant with Abraham, circumcision was a sign. And here we have him making a covenant with Moses that I'm going to protect you, that I'm going to give you rest, that I'm going to be your God, and he seals it with a sign. What was the sign? The Sabbath worship. 
See, what he's trying to help us understand is that the original Sabbath-keeping was a shadow of a much deeper reality to come. The reason we have the Sabbath is to point us to something that was to come. See, Sabbath rest, keeping the Sabbath, points to the salvation rest we have in Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, what the Sabbath did, by taking a day and keeping it holy and not working and doing nothing but focusing on God, it was a way for you to understand that you were making yourself right with God. You kept the Sabbath as a means to understand that this is what God wanted, and in doing what God wants, I can be assured that I'm okay. And in that assurance, that Sabbath rest, that rest that we talk about in Sabbath, you have an assurance that you are God's. How do you know that you're God's? How do you know you're His child? Because you keep the Sabbath. You see, but, but Jesus came and He wiped out the Old Covenant. He fulfilled the Old Covenant. Just like He got rid of and fulfilled the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant, He fulfilled the Sabbath needs of the Old Covenant. Because you see, I am assured who I am as a Christ follower, as a child of God. Not because I come to church on Sunday. Not because I keep a day. I am assured that I am a child of God. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because see, it's now His work, not my work, that counts. And I can be assured. You see, assurance doesn't come to you because you came to church, I hope. I hope you don't think just because you're here this morning and and you've decided to dedicate some time to God that you're sure that you're sure because of that that you're good. I mean, you hear people say it all the time, don't you, on the street? You know, if if you were to face God today, what would you say? Why would he let you into heaven? Why do you? Well, I've been pretty good. I go to church sometimes. That's the old Sabbath law. What Paul was saying is that only was made to point you to the real rest that we find in Jesus Christ. You see, now I have Sabbath in Christ. I don't have to work and earn and doubt and worry about whose I am. I don't have to worry. I am God's child because Jesus Christ paid the price. And by accepting Him, I step into Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is no longer a day as much as it is a person. And it's found in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus ignored the Sabbath because He was the Sabbath. Jesus didn't follow the old laws because He is now our Sabbath rest. Sabbath is no longer about following a day. It's now about following a person. And what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 2 when He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, is He was saying Sabbath was never created to be a law. It was never created to be a burden. It was never created to be a duty. It was created to be a blessing so that you and I, God's children, could have assurance and could rest in that assurance. See, so many Christians today are not resting, Sabbathing in the assurance that you are Christ's child. So many Christians are still in doubt and so many Christians struggle with, with, I don't know the date and I don't know the time. It's not about a date or a time. It's about a person. It's about meeting Him and asking Him into your heart and having a relationship with Him. And when that is a reality, then you can rest in it. That's why we get so excited when we quote from Romans 8 that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Because I can rest in the arms of Jesus Christ knowing that me being in His arms didn't depend on anything I did to get me there. It depended on how strong His arms are. And I can count on that. 
And this morning I can come to church and know that no matter what happens out there, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter how bad the news is, no matter how much struggle is happening, I can rest in the assurance of Jesus Christ. You need to find rest, spiritual rest. Stop doubting. Stop trying to earn something that can't be earned. Stop trying to pay back something that you could never pay back. Stop trying to to wrestle with issues and instead rest in Jesus Christ. Sabbath. Now, did you understand that? Universal sign, yes, no, what, right? Jesus is now the Sabbath. He's fulfilled what God laid out in the Sabbath. Listen to his words. You know this verse, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Sabbath rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find Sabbath, Shabbat, rest for your soul. You see, we find rest, we find assurance, not in keeping a spiritual day, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't breaking a command. He was fulfilling a command. Jesus wasn't breaking the law. Jesus became the law. And that law became grace, and that became the new covenant. So what does that mean for us? If Jesus is now our Sabbath, what does that mean for the fourth commandment? You see, even though we're no longer under the law of Sabbath, of keeping the Sabbath and that law, the principle and the example still stands. See, that's why we moved beyond what the fourth commandment said and went back to Genesis. Because just because Jesus fulfilled the shadow of the fourth commandment, it didn't eliminate God's example in creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. And so there still is a requirement for you and I to take a day, make it holy, set it apart, and do what? Rest and focus on God. So what does that look like? How do we do that today? Well, we follow the early church's example. They took the first day of the week and called it God's day, the Lord's day. And they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ by gathering together. And in gathering together, not only did they celebrate the resurrection, but they also celebrated rest. Because if you don't hear anything else, understand this. God created the seventh day. You know, see, God could have done it in six days, couldn't he? All we could have had, he could have done it one day. But there's a process and there's a purpose behind the way he created. And you go through and study Genesis, you can understand that. But he could have ended at six because he didn't need rest. He didn't need to take some time off. But he did that not just because he was going to put the fourth commandment in there about understanding the shadow of who Jesus is. He did it as an example for you and I because you need a day of rest. So what is Jesus saying to us today? How do we take this command and move forward? We do it by setting a day aside to simply rest. And I want to close by giving you three ways that you need to do that. Three ways that you can celebrate the Sabbath this morning. And some of you may not like some of these three ways because they're not easy. And I'm not going to go in depth. I'm just going to talk about how we can set it apart. First of all, 
on God's Sabbath, on the day you set aside, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, you need to rest your body. You need to rest your body. We need physical rest. Our bodies wear out. And if we don't rest properly, it affects everything else in our body. It affects us emotionally. It affects us spiritually. It affects us mentally. Growing up in Texas, there was an old Indian proverb that said, you break the bow if it's always bent. Think about that. Some of you that have been in archery, you, you know what it's like. You don't leave the string on the bow. You know why you don't leave the string on the bow all the time? Because eventually the bow will bend and not have its strength. It'll lose its draw. It'll lose its pull. Sometimes you have to take the string off and let the bow stretch so that it's ready the next time you need to use it. And some of us are so physically tired because we wear ourselves so physically down that we have no energy, not just to be present for our families and our friends, but no energy to do the things that God's calling us to do. That's why David writes in Psalms 23, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. didn't say He lets me lie down in green pastures. He wants me to lie down in green pastures. It said He makes me. God wants you to rest. Don't feel guilty about resting. We've, in this society, we, we feel guilty. Listen, I'm proud. I take a nap every Sunday afternoon. It's my favorite time of the week. I turned the phone off, and I have been doing it since I got out of college. I probably did it in college then, but I did it every day in college. But my Sunday nap is part of my time of recharge. Don't be embarrassed. Don't let people make you feel guilty. Your body needs it. God commands you rest. And by that measure, don't let anybody make you feel guilty about taking vacation. You've got days, take days. Take them all. Work can survive without you. Your health and your family can't. Find time on God's day to physically shut down. We need to rest our bodies. The second thing that we need to do is we need to recharge our emotions. Doctors have found that there is a direct correlation between the health of your nervous system and your mental rest. Do you know what that means? That means your blood pressure, your heart rate, your body temperature, all of that is related to your being able to mentally recharge. How do you do that? Find a time on the Lord's day. Set aside some time for quiet. Now, I know this is hard if you've got little kids. There's no such thing as quiet, right? You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I can't. Find some time where you unplug everything and you rest your mind. It's not the same as a nap. This is just you turning the TV off, turning the phone off, turning the news off, turning the computer off, unplugging completely, and letting your mind rest. Why? Because the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It's in those moments when you learn to rest your mind that God speaks the loudest. See, David said, not only does he make me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. You see, it's in those still waters when you're resting your mind. It's in those still waters that you can understand and experience His presence. You need some alone time every week, time that you dedicate just to recharging your emotions. That also can include family time. You need time once a week. That helps you recharge your emotions where you commit yourself just to spending time with your spouse, just spending time with your kids, undistracted. Just you and them. Why? Because we draw energy emotionally from those that we love the most. You need to spend time with them. You need to spend time in community. Being in community, being with those friends that you have, and that can be in church. 
Hopefully it's in church. You can come and draw strength from one another. You can come and emotionally allow your mind to be recharged through what God is doing. But if you and I don't take time to rest our body, if we don't take time to recharge our emotions, then we are no good for what God is calling us to. Rest your body, recharge your emotions. The third and last thing, we need to refresh our spirit. What is the Sabbath about? It is taking a day so that we can take care of our body, take care of our mind, and then most importantly, take care of our spirit. Now we find our spiritual rest in Christ, but we need to feed our souls. And that's what the early church decided Sunday would be. That's why the Bible says, do not neglect meeting together once a week. Why do you meet together? Not to keep the law. We don't meet together. We don't check roll here. Nobody marked you off. God's not up in heaven. I hate to tell you, God's not up in heaven looking to see. You know, like the old envelopes that you used to fill out in Sunday school. Some of you are old. You may remember. You know, Bible brought, offering brought, came, dressed, not right. God's not up in heaven doing that. Because he didn't want you to come to set aside a time to worship him because you have to. He wants you to do it because you need it. And you recognize you need it. You recognize that there is a time of the week that you need to come and totally focus on God and what he's done in your life. Because you see, when we focus on God, we're not thinking about ourselves. We need that time. We need where God can speak into our lives. We need a time where God can challenge us and rejuvenate us. He can speak to our soul. He can feed our soul. I like what B.B. Warfield, the old pastor, said. He said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out when he was resurrected. We celebrate, not because it's a law, but because we've been redeemed. See, you need to get to the place that your spirit misses it when you're not with the body of Christ. See, we need to get to the place where you can tell during the week. I, listen, when I'm gone, you know, I... I I haven't, I'm guilty, I'll go ahead and admit, uh, I don't take all my vacation time. I haven't. I will. We'll, don't we always say that we will, right? But I haven't in the past. And some of it's probably ego to think, well, the church would crash and crater if I'm not here. Uh, but most of it, honestly, is I miss you when I'm gone. When I'm gone two Sundays from the body of Christ, my soul misses it. My spirit misses it. I miss the energy. I miss the encouragement. I miss the blessing from the body coming together and speaking into one another's life. You need to train your spirit to be hungry for that. That's what the Sabbath day is about. That's what celebrating the Lord day is about. We need to reclaim the Lord's day for Him. We need to stop taking our kids to church and instead teach them why church is important. And then live it out. Example it to them. See, the law of the Sabbath is dead, but the Lord of the Sabbath is still alive and worth worshiping. And you and I need to find a way to refresh our spirits. You see, please hear me. For some of you this morning, the first step that you need to take in celebrating the Sabbath is you need to recognize that you need spiritual rest. See, some of you are trying to work real hard for something that God wants to give you freely. Some of you are you're in doubt and you struggle and you come to church every week. God bless you. And you leave here thinking, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where my relationship is with Jesus Christ. I don't know where I stand. So we try to work a little harder. 
You need to experience real spiritual rest by receiving Jesus Christ. That's the first step of honoring the Sabbath. Take a rest from your worry, from your guilt, from your doubt, from your struggles, and experience Jesus' Sabbath. For most of us here this morning, we're just tired. Just plain worn out. Physically tired, emotionally tired, mentally tired. And God is commanding you, rest. Rest. Take some time to do what God did and rest. He set the example and He not only expects it, He encourages it and commands it that we follow it. Set aside a time to rejuvenate your body, your mind, and your spirit. See, so many of us, and let's just be honest, we are so busy. Busier than God ever intended us to be. But we're so busy because of our culture and because of society that we spend all our time trying to charge and recharge on the run. Don't we? We think I'm going to take a minute here, a little shortcut. Maybe this will be enough if I just dive in here, just a quick charge. But we never really get fully recharged. And if we're honest, all we're really doing is wearing our batteries out. That's where you are today. You see, maybe some of us need to stop and turn everything off. See, one of the things I learned about my battery, why it was dying all the time, as I never took the time to really charge it. I charged it while I was in the phone, but I was always talking or I was always checking something. And so while it looked like it was charging, it wasn't. It was just messing with my battery. The only way you can really charge, turn it off, plug it in. The only way you can really get charged this morning, turn it off. What does Shabbat mean? Cease, desist, stop, rest. That's what Sabbath is. That's what the command is. Set aside the Lord's day and keep it holy. Let's pray.